Welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. I'm your host, Alex Banco. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to thank our podcast sponsor, Point Click Care. They know financial health is integral to your success and want to help you reach your goals. Visit www.pointclickcare.com to learn how they can help you achieve financial success. As the Chief Medical Officer of Signature Healthcare and President of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine, Dr. Arif Nazir has both a micro and macro level perspective on how the nation's nursing homes are working to keep their residents safe amid the spread of COVID-19. I wanted to ask Dr. Nazir about the mood on the front lines, as well as his take on some of the revolutionary steps that the government has taken to suspend foundational rules in the fight against the coronavirus. Because the situation has been changing rapidly, I want to make clear that this interview was recorded on the morning of Friday, March 20th, so it reflects only what we both knew at that time. Here's our conversation. All right, Dr. Nazir, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited about this opportunity. All right, well, let's just dive right into it. So what are you seeing? Before we get into sort of our bigger picture questions, obviously, your position as a geriatrician, we can kind of talk big picture, and I really do want to get to that toward the end, the middle and end of this interview. But just to start out, you know, what are you seeing the individual building level amid this crisis? You know, how are staff members, residents, and their families responding? Obviously, it's a stressful time for everyone, but probably not, probably these are people under the most stress right now, given the severity of the disease and the the vulnerable nature of the residents? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. And, you know, when when you think about working in a stressful environment, our teams in the nursing homes, unfortunately or fortunately, are used to working under that environment. Or particularly over the last few years and maybe a decade or two, I think nobody has seen more change than our frontline staff and the nursing home skilled facilities because healthcare system is expecting a lot from them, right? As we hear people lightly say that, you know, the hospitals of yesterday are nursing homes today. Well, that statement is loaded and it is true. But unfortunately, that change and that evolution from the staff's perspective has not come along with a lot of strategic inpouring of resources and training and expertise. So over the last many years, we have made our staff to do things which have been out of their comfort zone. So they are very used to uh, being facing stressful situations and particularly with the passing of the patient-driven payment model of PDPM as it is known, the acuity has risen as expected. And so they have been uh, working under stress, but but nothing has really mirrored the stress of uh, the recent pandemic. So I think stress absolutely is there is because of just from the from the fact that these staff members have personal lives too. I mean, they're already, many of them are, you know, struggle in terms of their day-to-day anyways at their homes and their personal life. And to de- deal with this unpredictable environment where they do not know exactly what they're dealing with and uh, the whole social and financial structure changing around them, all of that causes stress. But I would say though, that if I have to choose one word in regards to what I'm hearing, and I've been to a couple of nursing homes myself, but I'm limiting my visits for obvious reasons. The one word that comes to mind after I uh, hear those stories and visit them is, is commitment. It is just unbelievable for me to see that how much commitment people can show in face of adversity. And if, if anybody wants to see that in play, I, I think that nursing homes are the, are the example for that. So I really just cannot say enough of how patient and committed our staff are. You know, CMS, CDC, Center for Disease Control, and all the experts, uh, very rightly so, are sharing a lot of information, which actually has to be operationalized. 
Now, operationalizing things in nursing homes should never be taken lightly. It really requires a lot of system level change for people to design and for others to go through to respond to it. It is just amazes me that how well and how quickly our staff at the front line are adjusting based on the feedback and the input they are getting from the home office or from the CD and so on and so forth. So I'm just really in awe of how well they are performing at this point and trying to stay ahead ahead of all of that. Now in that, you know, in, th- in terms of families, that has been a very hard thing for the families to be cut off from their loved ones in the in the nursing home. So we had a lot of struggle there initially when the families were just not understanding that why we are recommending that. But of course, naturally, it has taken some time for them to understand the really the seriousness of the issue. So I think the national dialogue, which finally finally is emerging, has been very helpful to make them more aware and they are more understanding. And as you have seen in some of the pictures, really heart-wrenching pictures where Family members are trying to see their loved one through the windows and trying to do picnics outside their rooms. You know, so they are all trying to adjust, but this is also new. And when you add the level of dementia and cognitive impairment among the patients themselves and the residents, it has been very hard for them to really understand that why they can't see their loved one or for them to be off their routines and all of that has been very tough. And of course, all of that then adds further more stress among our staff. So kudos and really, really uh, great work from our our staff and the front line so far. Yeah, I I think it's so important both for, you know, us here at Skilled Nursing News, you know, and more of an industry publication, but also the general public and the general media to really hammer home the reasons why these bans are in place. You know, I, I read a lot of local news coverage of nursing home issues for work. And, you know, I am a little troubled by some of the some of the local reports that kind of frame it, you know, some individual stories have framed it as, you know, why isn't the nursing home letting us see our families? We're or letting us see our loved ones. We're really worried, but I really do think it's important, and I think it's on everybody in the industry to be very, very clear as to why these things are happening. Obviously, they're very tough, and I can't imagine being in that situation with a loved one in a nursing home who I couldn't visit. But you know, the stakes are just so high right now that I think it's really important to get that message out there. Well, you know, you you just hit a very important point there, Alex. And, you know, I've been trying to really bring this perspective to the world for a while in my various roles that we we need to not take lightly the role of positivity in our setting. The fact that we have made nursing home staff and the operators and the teams who work in nursing homes so defensive all the time based on negative media projection of what really happens in nursing homes is basically we are shooting ourselves in the foot, you know? I mean, you just cannot create high quality structures based on negativity where people have to, no matter how hard they work, have to focus and be thrown, you know, under the bus based on one bad uh, outcome. So we have to remember that we as a society, it doesn't matter if we are media, we are lay people, whoever we are, we really have to see and look at the bigger picture. People working in nursing homes provide the hardest care uh, they're, they're imaginable. It's very taxing physically. It is very taxing emotionally. And it really never really pays enough for all the hard work that is being done. So most of these people are driven on emotions, on ideas, on their passion, and their, and, and their personal commitments to, uh, to others and humanity. So if we do not do a good job of presenting that well, we really take passion out of them. And it, it can be very, very depressing, honestly, for the front line to see that when the whole uh, setting is uh, not acknowledged for all the hard work that is done. So I think positivity in the face of crisis is going to be huge. And I really hope 
and really expect from my media uh, community to be very careful about that. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point to hammer home as this keeps going on. I wanted to zoom out a little bit more now. And one of the things, you know, we saw CMS waive the three-day stay requirement for nursing home care, Medicare coverage of nursing home care. And when that was announced, one of the things that Seema Verma, the CMS administrator, explicitly stated was, you know, we are doing this so that we can potentially ease the strain on hospital beds. Obviously, that as the pandemic increases and more cases are reported, that's one of the major concerns is keeping hospital beds available to the people who need it most. And so the theory, the overarching theory, and we've heard from some post-acute operators in particular that this is an interesting idea that they could send hospitals, rather, could send their non-COVID patients to a nursing home setting to receive care that they would have normally received in the hospital so that the hospital beds can be reserved for the people who need it the most, the COVID-19 patients who need access to ventilator care and really the most acute care possible. How realistic is that? And is that a, sort of a long-term solution? I'm curious to hear what you say, both you know, as a chief medical officer of Signature and also just your role as a geriatrician. Yeah, so um, I, mean, I think uh, you, you know, probably everybody knows how much effort has been put into and how much advocacy has been uh, pushed forward to, to get this three-day waiver rule. And uh, it's interesting how you know, a, a crisis would kind of change things and make things happen very quickly. So we're excited about this notion of a three-day waiver. But you know, what really concerns me in both my roles, and most importantly in my role as a geriatrician, that I really do not think that the world really understands how frail patients are in nursing homes. I mean, that's my biggest worry. So the key to your question is, is the term non-COVID patients, right? To me, that is where the issue is that how are we going to really know that which patients are truly negative? Because the stories I'm hearing, we just don't have enough testing available, right? Many patients who are getting admitted to nursing homes, you know, without having quote-unquote classical symptoms are not even being tested for COVID. So what assurance do we really have that who, which patients who are being touted as COVID negative are really negative, right? So this, could, this is a very sensitive issue. We really need to make sure that we have before we, you know, start making nursing homes and a bed overflow healthcare partner for nursing for for acute care hospitals, we absolutely have to make sure that we perfect the science of realizing that which patients truly are negative and which patients are positive. Because I cannot overemphasize the importance of the fact that that one COVID positive patient can significantly harm many, many patient nursing homes and actually pretty, pretty much bring the whole building down. And we saw that happen in the, in the nursing home story at Washington State. So that's my biggest concern is that we really just cannot be very pushy about this without making sure that we have the right testing, the right protocols in place. And yes, if we can do that, then it is actually makes for a reasonable strategy to think about it. But we just have to, again, realize that uh, nursing homes are not hospitals. So just making a general policy where non-COVID patients, no matter how sick they are, are going to end up in nursing homes is really not the right strategy either, right? So there has to be some framework around it, like what kind of acuity, what kind of illness, and then making sure that we have a way to understand that which nursing homes really do have the capability of providing that very high acuity care. So I think in the in the framework of some of those sensitivities, I think we should be able to do that. And you know, but you know, one thing I'm just going to highlight here is that why does it take for a crisis like this to actually hit for us to be start thinking this way? Why were we not proactive in thinking about such kind of partnerships like 
15, 20 years from now? Why did not we really invest and fund in our post-acute skilled nursing homes you know, previously? Why aren't we ready for this? Why we are at a place where nursing, where more than 70% of the nursing homes actually run a negative profit? You know, so really now, so we are behind the ball on this. I mean, have we funded and have we had we strategized better in regards to how nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities can be a better partner to hospitals? Had we strategized before and funded it well, I think we would not be facing the crisis we face today. Yeah, and that's that's definitely a good point that I think we're going to really have to reassess once we you know sort of get through this crisis and we can kind of look back. And and that that dovetails nicely with my next question, which is and you brought it up in, in your answer before was it's really interesting to see, you know, these big monolithic rules that have been sort of the bane of everyone's existence. You know, the three day stay rule is a perfect example. There have been so many calls to get rid of it entirely from various stakeholders in the industry, you know, really diverse stakeholders from the industry itself to resident advocates to geriatricians. You know, that's kind of one rule that everyone seems to dislike and it's just never been able to move. Same thing with the telehealth restrictions that we're seeing you know, with the stroke of a pen, CMS basically ha- implemented all of these new flexibilities for telehealth providers that people in the industry have been fighting for through lobbying and through legislation and through all sorts of different channels for years. And so when we start to look back on this, you know, once we get out of the thick of this, do you think that this is really going to usher in a new era of flexibility? You know, can you really unring the bell, so to speak, of putting back all of these restrictions that we're waving in this emergency? Yeah, so I mean, th- this is a very interesting question, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to give you a different, a little bit different concept, uh, you know, uh, concept on this, and, and then I'll come back to the answer to your question. You know, this just brings to my mind my own training as a geriatrician, right? One difference between a well-trained geriatrician and many other doctors is that geriatricians are really good at strategizing for a negative outcome in the future. You know, for us, actually, for geriatricians, so many negative outcomes like death are actually not maybe a negative outcome even, right? A peaceful good death, which is planned well, actually is a great positive outcome. So geriatricians have this perspective of thinking things through and being proactive. And to me, the government's actions right now are very reactive. And that is what human nature is, that things we do not understand, unfortunately, fall low in our priority list and we never prioritize them. Even though, you know, uh, be, you know, the geriatric community knew how important was it to really plan telehealth well, how important was it to work on issues like three-day waivers, and so many other things that are happening right now. I wish that there was an opportunity for the government to understand them proactively and then very strategically deal with them a long time ago, right? So I'm just going to go back again that really it is very important that CMS understands and government understands that they're very well trained geriatrician community. There's organizations like AMDA, which is the which I represent as a Society of post Long-Term Medicine. There's other organizations. It's very important for policymakers to start working strategically and proactively because there's so many other disasters that could hit us where we will be stuck in these kind of situations. So reactivity never leads to the best answers, but I'm at least glad in, in response to your question that finally we have seen that telehealth is being available for our seniors now. We are seeing a three-day waiver, and there's many other things, and we are seeing some extra funding finally going into nursing homes, but I wish we could have done this with, in partnership with other organizations proactively a long time ago. Uh, it just makes me sad that for a very educated, strongest country in the world, it takes a pandemic for us to make the right moves now finally. But I, I, but I do agree a new era of healthcare upon us. 
I really do not believe that many of these things will be reverted back. And they don't need to be reverted back. I mean, why should not telehealth be, be a very important part of our day-to-day practice? You know, so to me, I've not really seen anything that have been really negative that it needs to go back eventually. To me, I think all the things we're seeing, regardless if they're proactive or they're not proactive, they're reactive. I do think that they're going to have long-term value to our healthcare system. That is also an interesting point too, you know, that obviously it would have been better if, if there had been some preparations on this. And it, it's yep. just, it, it's, uh, I mean, my, when I saw the news, it feels like it was last week, but I'm pretty sure it was only a couple of days ago, the telehealth news that, you know, something like HIPAA violations would be waived and that doctors can talk to their their patients over Skype or FaceTime. You know, my jaw almost hit the floor. Like these are like fundamental, fundamental foundational laws and rules that have governed uh, telehealth and governed interactions between patients and doctors for decades. And suddenly, you know, overnight, they're just gone. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like, but, but to me, we make things to be quote unquote fundamental based on our perspectives. To me, way more fundamental is the fact that the care needs to be promptly available and needs to be interdisciplinary. The fact that we went so overboard on HIPAA regulations that we actually put barriers to interdisciplinary care and to meaningful exchange of communication between providers, I think we just went way too overboard, so much so that we pretty much compromised the most fundamental aspect of any care, which is that it needs to be well communicated to all players and that it needs to be interdisciplinary, right? So, so we need to make sure that we learn from this is that let not die our hands or our provider or practitioner's hands or healthcare system's hands by making regulations that are too stern and that, so that they take our ability away to provide good care. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's going to be a fascinating thing to look at as, you know, over the next year to 18 months, how everything gets reshuffled. And sort of in that vein, you know, one of the things that we're also hearing, particularly as we're sort of unsure as to just how bad the pandemic will get in terms of how many cases we are going to run out of hospital beds in a lot of different areas if the cases continue to increase at the rate that they have. And so we have heard, you know, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, has suggested just a mass takeover of dorms and hotels and unused buildings and turning them into healthcare sites. Washington State and Florida have received uh, Medicaid waivers under the 1135 Emergency Authority, basically allowing nursing home providers to continue to get reimbursed for care provided at alternate sites if they need to you know, use a basically an unlicensed building, whatever that may be, to provide nursing home care. It, is this viable? Is this something that we are going to see? Is it is it something that's safe? And, you know, what might that look like if we really do need to start using alternate sites of care other than a skilled nursing facility or a hospital? Yeah, so AMDA actually just passed a resolution. I will recommend that you can see it on the link on AMDA, PLTC.org, uh, just two nights ago. Last evening, we passed that. That absolutely is a must that nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities should just not be seen as default places for COVID positive patients. I think it will be a disastrous approach as we already talked about it. So we, so then the answer becomes is where do we go with these patients? We just cannot let them line up in the hallways. So if you will see that in, in, in that resolution, actually, we do also propose a, a solution, which is exactly what you mentioned is that we need to repurpose new places. For a nation that has really invested so much in our casinos and our stadiums and our entertainment and all that, that's fine and dandy. I think now it's time for us to start thinking about what about healthcare, right? So I think at this point, it, a lot of funding needs to go very quickly in meaningful alternative sites of care. Again, this could be repurposed hotels, convention centers, 
whatever that may be. But again, I would like to highlight very importantly that this is, this is not a decision which policymakers should just make in a silo. They, this is a time for them to pull in organizations like Signature Healthcare, which have shown so much innovation over the years, to uh, AMDA, Society of Postal Long-Term Care, and many other national leaders, geriatric or uh, senior organizations who, who know the setting really well, and to really pull them in before they finalize any policy. It's not just uh, it's not about uh, just about engineering that you have to put a building a structure together. There's a lot of science that goes into how well these things can be built so to make sure that they are geriatric friendly. You know they can really do the job. So we need to make sure that we go about it very smartly. It requires a big collaborative effort. And again, AMDA Signature, we are all here uh, to help in that regard. So I do hope that there's a big movement towards that. We do need these specialty centers where COVID patients can get the best care. And uh, we know this setting, we know these patients, we know interdisciplinary care. We, the geriatricians, are ready to help jump in and help and provide expertise any way we can. So I think it's a very viable option. It absolutely should be looked into. All right, uh, Dr. Nazir, I think that's a great place to end off. I really appreciate you taking the time and just a special thanks to all the work that you guys are doing at Signature and everyone on the front lines. We really appreciate all the work that's going on during this really difficult time. I'm just going to end, take a second and just to really acknowledge and commend my teams in the front line. It doesn't matter who you are, your doctor, nurse practitioner, nurse, CNA, LPN, operator, family member, whoever you are, my hats off to you. You're just doing amazing heroic work and we just can't thank you enough as a country for doing that. And it's time for everybody to come together to be positive. This is not time to point fingers. Let's just be positive and let's put all our expertise together. We can really get through it, I'm sure. Thank you so much. All right. I second that. Thank you so much and uh, be well. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Alex Banco, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.